Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogues such as, cute buns, tiger. Here to provide analysis of that line and so much more is my friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Oh, James B., I had a cup of coffee at my friend's in the afternoon, so I am extra peppy. Uh, Cute buns, tiger, must have come from MJ, although... The person who I would say has been very interested in Spider-Man is Black Cat. Not so much in this title. Uh, is that correct, MJ? It's correct. Yes. Whew. Okay. Great. <laughs> you don't. You don't remember? Do you ever like look at these notes before we start the podcast? I usually do not look at this part. I find it more interesting for myself to think about what's going on. But yeah, um, she's in. She's in his apartment. He comes in there and he goes take a shower and she's like opens up the door <laughs> yeah, and says, right. cute buns, tiger. <laughs> she's in his apartment so much. <laughs> so this is this has got to happen eventually. <laughs> well, we'll have to uh, get to that part in our summary so people can understand the context of what's going on. Why don't you let him know where the first book starts? From January of 1987, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 284 and Who Will Stand Against Them by DeFalco. Olesley, Friends, Breeding, and Rubenstein. Spider-Man must stop a gang war. Fun fact, Eddie, this is the same plot 37 years in the future for issue 933 of The Amazing Spider-Man. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I was trying to try to do some research. I'm like, which one am I talking about? But for this Let's Read Spider-Man podcast, we're going to discuss only the gang war in issue 284, where our main characters from our last podcast, Daredevil and the Kingpin, have had their gang war spill over to the pages of The Amazing Spider-Man. Here we go. Lance Bannon is taking photos of Spider-Man crashing through a window and trying to stop criminal smugglers from being robbed by underworld robbers when along comes a fourth party, the Hobgoblin. Who tells Spider-Man the Rose sent him. All four groups tangle and some thugs get shot and... Everyone goes their separate ways. Later, Jack-O-Lantern, working for the Kingpin via the Arranger, attacks Silvermane. I'm so happy to see so many villains, but it is getting confusing out there. Let me attempt to clarify the gangs here. There's the Arranger, who's filling in for the Kingpin, like you said. He's got Jack-O-Lantern as his enforcer. Hammerhead's here, and he's got his posse of goons. The Rose, who has a partnership with the Hobgoblin. And finally, the Blue Boys gang. As you stated, uh, Silvermane, and this is Robo-Silvermane, he's still got his robotic body, but his Silvermane head, is in the book, although it doesn't appear he's playing any part in this competitive uh, gang war. I don't know why Jack-O-Lantern does this, but he pogos up to Silvermane's mansion in Westchester and throws a bomb in his face, possibly killing him. I don't think Silvermane was part of this, but eliminates one problem. Regardless, there's a lot of competing factions, and law enforcement seems to be totally powerless or paid off to stop any of them from causing total chaos around the city. Yeah, speaking of law enforcement, Ben Urick is having a homage to the great Captain Stacy party where he shows the villains that Eddie just mentioned on his whiteboard. Peter's spider sense goes off around Ned Leeds just as Ned accuses Betty of cheating on him with the Hobgoblin. 
Peter can't understand why he's getting such a hostile, evil spider sense around Ned. So he... ignores it. Peter then visits Aunt May, who needs to find two new boarders. Uh, Aunt May, she's back to being a one-dimensional character as someone Peter is uh, constantly worried about. We went through a long period of time where we heard nothing about Aunt May, probably because her borders were relatively fine. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm uh, ready to go back to Aunt May getting married to Doc Ock, like in Amazing Spider-Man 131, but she does add this lovely complication and additional responsibility to Peter's life. It gives more realism when Peter's making bad decisions because he's got so much on his mind. Well, there are some complications at the precinct. Captain Keating has a successful collar of two criminals, but the other policemen question where Keating got his tip. And later, they question why is Keating driving off in the wrong direction? To add to the suspicion, we see Spider-Man watching Roderick Kingsley, the head of MJ's modeling firm, secretly meeting with Captain Keating. Spider-Man shares some troubling thoughts, but ultimately continues his trend of ignoring his spider sense and the two suspicious men because he doesn't want to get involved. He swings into a street-level gang war and decides, it's not my problem. And doing his best to actually quit, he leaves again. Okay, Peter's going to quit being Spider-Man in the middle of the biggest gang war the city has ever seen. I don't think so. Uh, the writers need to leave this tired trope of him quitting being Spider-Man behind. After Hammerhead gets blown up at a restaurant while having dinner, Peter returns to his own dinner at home with MJ. While she cooks, the TV in Peter's apartment shows news report after news report of innocent people dying and getting hurt. After a page of internal thoughts and hero music playing in his head, Peter realizes he can't quit and suits up and dramatically goes back out there. <laughs> uh, last time I saw Hammerhead, he was a radioactive ghost turned back into a tangible human. Uh, but he, quote, dies again after that from Amazing Spider-Man 159. Doc Ock throws a garbage can at the helicopter Hammerhead is flying away in, and it breaks the side of the helicopter, sending it into the Hudson River. <laughs> That's how he died last time. But anyone who falls in the Hudson River, the East River, pretty much by now we know it's it's not over for them. Well... I think the next book will explain it. From February of 1987, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 285, The Arranger Must Die, by DeFalco, Owsley, Kuppenberg, and Fern. Hammerhead is vying to fill the vacuum created by the Kingpin's nebulous absence, along with the Rose and the Blue Boys. The Rose refuses to enter the fray or take sides. Before we leave him, he thinks... I must find a way to navigate this crisis, and perhaps the best way to go about it is without this mask. As Spider-Man is breaking up some petty crime, he comes across the Punisher. The Punisher is being the Punisher, trying to kill criminals that weasel out of a conviction. Spidey doesn't catch the Punisher because he goes back to make sure the criminals the Punisher shot don't die. 
I wanted to mention the Punisher. Eddie finally has his own limited series here in 1986. It's about time. Uh, well, we head across town to see Jack-O-Lantern taking out a rival chop shop. All goes well until... Hammerhead shows up. Meanwhile, the arranger is forced to stop a heated meeting with his captains because Richard Fisk, the kingpin's son, shows up. Richard is there to see his bedridden and amnesia-stricken mother. At the Bugle, city editor Catherine Cushing is giving Peter a hard time while Joe Robbie sits Ned Leeds down to try and figure out why he is perpetually perturbed. Ned claims he's jealous of Ben Urich and has a big story that he needs more time to gather evidence. Ben is going after the kingpin so he know he's better, but this whole angle about needing Soviet spy information to win a Pulitzer sounds a lot like Ned's lying. In addition... To wondering about Hammerhead, I could use a reminder why Vanessa Fisk has amnesia and also why Richard Fisk is walking around. I thought he was not dead, but he was also comatose or something. Can't just spring these people on me. You don't get that, James B. We actually quickly move to a big mobster meeting in progress. The meeting is interrupted first by Hammerhead's goons and then by the Punisher shooting a bazooka into the air. This happens because Spider-Man messes up his aim and the two proceed to brawl. Just as Spider-Man looks like he's got the Punisher where he wants him, the Punisher punches his own chest, releasing gas rapidly around Spidey. Note for the record, this is an acceptable gas tack, James B. (laughs) The Punisher is wearing a gas mask, but we end with Spider-Man knocked out on top of a building. I disagree with Spider-Man not allowing the Punisher to attack all the gangs with the bazooka. It was a good use of plot armor by Tom DeFalco, but I would have preferred a few casualties or maybe Spider-Man more clearly explaining there were innocent people down there. In the book, it comes off like Spider-Man is protecting villains from the Punisher. Let's see what happens when Tom DeFalco isn't the writer. From March of 1987, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 286, Thy Father's Son. Written by Jim Owsley, penciled by Alan Kupperberg, and inks by Jim Fern and Art Nichols. We'll begin where we left off with all the mobsters scattering from their meeting and Spider-Man making an acrobatic escape from a police helicopter. Spidey barely drags himself home to a very concerned MJ. Writer Jim Owsley has Peter regret not letting the Punisher blow up the murderers. I feel better. (laughs) The next morning at the police station, we see Lance Bannon head out with the handlebar-mustached Sergeant Torque to get a scoop. Together, they learn of another meeting that night between Rose and the leader of the new Blue Boy gang. Lance can't make it, so he stops by fellow photog Peter Parker's apartment to give him the scoop on where the next crime will be. Uh, MJ convinces Peter to go back to sleep instead of giving him Lance's message. When Peter wakes, he heads to Aunt May's in Forest Hills. Later, he hears an explosion, and one officer agrees to bring Spider-Man to the crime scene during a rainstorm. Uh, real quick, before we talk more about this explosion, this blue boy gang, just so everyone understands, they're literally just regular looking thugs with blue hoods on. There's there's the regular costumes, just a hood. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> the explosion was a rocket breaking up the meeting between gangsters. Throughout this book, we have followed Richard Fisk meeting a new love, visiting his mother, and we learn... He is the Rose, 
So Richard meets Dina in the park the morning of all these events, and he just lets her know his secret identity as the Rose when we have waited at least 25 issues to find out. I accidentally found out two days before this podcast while listing a first appearance of the Rose comic book on eBay because when you, I was looking for a, a listing and it said, like, first appearance of the Rose, parentheses, you know, Richard Fisk. I'm like, oh, man. But because I knew that, I was able to watch carefully. And in the last book, Eddie, yeah. they showed the Rose sniffing roses. And then later, next to Vanessa's bed, was a large bouquet of roses. Yeah. So there was some little hints there that uh, maybe the schemer had taken a new identity. Uh, remember that? You was a schemer. <laughs> That's true. Good eye, James B., too. Uh, speaking of the Rose, as the Rose attempts to escape the calamitous meeting on foot, he is forced to shoot a young officer. Spider-Man doesn't go after the Hobgoblin or Jack Lantern because he chooses to save some innocent civilians. Uh, Peter Parker drags himself back onto his couch as Richard returns home to his new love, Dina, mourning the fact he shot and killed someone. James B., these are some dense books. There are whole sections with Daredevil and Betty Leeds we couldn't even fit into these stories. What a stark contrast to Webb and uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, after reading them, I almost understand the villains' relationships. It seems that Hammerhead is on one side of this gang war, and everyone else is now uncomfortably united, except for that blue boy group. I can't seem to follow much about them. I don't really know if I need to, but... Yeah, these are these are good books, uh, underrated, I think, and I was really really happy reading them. I I I don't think we even mentioned Hammerhead did not die <laughs> from the well, explosion. You, you said he, you talked about him potentially dying, and then the next sentence of the next book oh, was Hammerhead true. starts off. So he's back. <laughs> I yeah. I don't totally understand where he came from. Uh, like it, it's the book seems to allude that he's just been hanging out in New York and going to his favorite haunts now and then. I, I guess he's laying low and now this is his opportunity to attack. It, it seems strange and very convoluted, like you said, to have these various gangs competing for the kingpin spot. I guess right. That's what they're going for. I'm sorry, I was too distracted when you talked about uh, Hammerhead, who was once a ghost, hanging out at his haunts <laughs> i didn't hear anything after that James but something we something we do need to hear is the sponsor for today oh yes of course uh james b tell us who it is eddie you may recall the rose wanted to eliminate spider-man because he was disrupting his operation making it difficult to raise his monthly revenue quotas uh, okay yes he was well the rose is headlining this new year as producer of the new, wait for this, Eddie, 36-hour rose-scented big bald boss cream. Eddie, experts say it's important <laughs> to keep a bald head clean, moisturized, and protected from the sun because any irritations will not only bother you, but will also be visible to everyone else. Remember when Crusher Creel was lifting a 220-ton airplane but still looked like a boss? <laughs> That amazing look he had was from 36-hour big, bald, boss cream, rose-scented version. Remember when the Kingpin told the rose, I do not choose to have Spider-Man killed at this time. Right. The rose quickly agreed, not because he respects his dad, 
No, he respects a man who literally smelled like roses for 36 hours straight. That's right, one application lasts that long. So become your own big boss and buy yourself some 36-hour rose-scented big bald boss cream today. Also available in lavender and hyacinth. <laughs> well, I'm glad that they're keeping it in the family. I know Vanessa was distributing the last bald boss cream. Um, we just this this is just a, such a consistent sponsor for us. We they keep coming back, and I don't think I. Just like us, they get better and better every time. That's what I see. I don't think I've said too many good things about them in the past. You know, I guess they don't have many outlets they can advertise through. Is that what it is, James B.? I just recall when we worked together that you would shave your head once in a while. Am I correct? True. The sides. I had a mohawk here and there. Yeah. So I I think they're just waiting for that endorsement at that time when you're ready to... (laughs) Rub it, rub it on and smell like some roses while I commission hits. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what hyacinth smells like. Is it any better than rose or lavender? Do you know? I, I don't think I could help you. We do have a hyacinth in bloom right now in our house someone gave us. So maybe I'll go smell it and let you know on Discord, James B. <laughs> All right, you get back to us on that. James B., the book doesn't show Hammerhead eating pasta, but don't you think it's safe to say that's what he's ordered in the fancy restaurant he's pictured in? He's kind of dressed up like the Italian mobster and mafia guy, yes. And he walks in, and the building looks super Italian, too. And I just... Hammerhead just seems like a pasta guy. He's not going to walk in here and be like, where's my foie gras and caviar? (laughs) No, that would be... All the other bosses, right? Yeah. This is sophistication, I would not say. In fact, Richard Fisk, uh, the Rose, regularly mentions, I can't work with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just not with it enough for me to partner with him in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. No, those, the, all those guys between, uh, you know, the Kingpin, the Arranger, Jack O' Lantern, Hammerhead. Hobgoblin. I don't care which ones are temporarily allied with each other. They none of these guys can work together. They're all no. You know what? Jack O'Lantern, to his credit, does seem to know his place. He does. He actually. He like. He will run away when he's like, "Ooh, this is not a fight that I can win. I'm out of here." Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's he's not challenging the kingpin for to no. win New York anytime soon. Eddie, how can people reach us? You can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail dot com. Or click on the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us through social media. And Eddie, we're going to do something special for people who click on that link and to join our Discord channel or connect with us through social media. <laughs> Eddie, I just clicked on that link and it opens up a document called Let's Read spider Manicon. It has our Discord link. It talks about our YouTube channel. It has our Twitter uh, information here. And then it says, thank you for your interest in the 2024 Let's Read Spider-Man a con and joining us uh, looks like the third week of July to celebrate the conclusion of our third year of podcasting. Eddie, this is so far away. We need to do something before then. Okay. What are we going to do, James B? Uh, we're going to add a date in here that says that people can come sooner. We're talking like February. We'll get together and let people uh, watch us produce a show on Skype. How's that sound? Wow. That sounds super fun. I'm all for it. Okay, we will get details to you shortly, but right now, if you click on that link, it will already be updated with the correct date and time so you can join us on Skype. 
I'm sure there's a way we can figure out how to do this so people can jump right in and watch us record a show. Okay, wonderful, James B. Well, after that, it's definitely time for the close. And I'm James B, joined by... Eddie! And remember, listeners, it doesn't matter if he's killed in a nuclear explosion, crashes into the Hudson in a helicopter, or gets blown up while eating pasta. Hammerhead never dies. Goodbye. Goodbye. Peter shows up at his own place and Mary Jane's there. And he says in his thought bubbles, Mary Jane's still here? Doesn't she ever go home? Eddie, this is someone who knows his identity, who he's had feelings for. And his reaction is like, get out of here, lady. That's funny. I didn't remember reading that, James B. In fact, I thought that was just you saying, does Mary Jane ever go home? (laughs) Because she is always at his apartment all through these books <laughs> yeah and then she's in his business and he's like i need to take a shower and then she's opening the door peeking in on him. she's just <laughs> really has no boundaries ah uh, it's an entertaining part of his apartment he also says like my apartment doesn't feel like mine ever since she redecorated it like he he's looking for the uh, wooden indian in the corner and he's like i miss that guy <laughs>